Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of the Heretical Podcast. Thank you for joining us again. And we're going to be discussing in this episode, we're going to be continuing on our conversation from the last episode on the supremacy of Christ. And so we noted at the outset that although Christ is controversial in pretty much every culture, he is also well-respected by many cultures. But this well-respected Jesus is this watered-down, non-offensive Jesus. He's not the real Jesus that the scriptures talk about, this fully divine version of Jesus that is ruler over everything. And so we talked about what does it look like to actually be, to actually acknowledge the supremacy of Christ. And so we talked about his supremacy in a personal sense, how we as individuals submit our lives to him as our master, how we recognize his lordship over our lives. And so in this article, I want to continue on that and discuss his supremacy in two other areas, his supremacy over the corporate church and his supremacy over the universe. So starting with the church, the Bible is very clear about the headship of the church. We've had throughout history so many people that have risen to be the leader of what they deem the church. We have, whether it's individual influencers or preachers or writers, um, especially you look at certain denominations which may have a pope or some sort of archbishop, and that person is sort of looked to as the head of the church. And hopefully they still acknowledge the supremacy of Christ in a sense, at least on paper. But in practice, oftentimes, and not in all those denominations, but in some of them, the emphasis can be placed on the pope or some other representative or figurehead as the supreme leader of the church. And some people, if you go to like a non-denominational megachurch, they may see the pastor or preacher there, this very charismatic influencer. That, that person may be there, seen as their head, like they're seen as head of the church, and there's not as much emphasis placed on Christ as the head of the church. And so whenever an institution exalts someone to too much of an extent and sort of downplays the headship of Christ, there is going to be false teaching. There is going to be error. And the Bible is very clear about who is supposed to be the head of the church. It says in Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, that God put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians 2, 20 also mentions Jesus Christ as the cornerstone of the church. So yes, there should be leaders. There should be pastors and teachers in the church, but Christ should always be seen as the head. There is this great sermon by H.B. Charles Jr., who is one of my favorite preachers, like just the, his, his style of preaching. It's this very animated way of preaching. It's a very charismatic way of preaching, but it's coupled with this Reformed solid theology. And so I really like, not that I agree with all of Reformed theology, but it's very based. But in his sermon, The Supremacy of Christ, H.B. Charles says this. He says, anything without a head is dead. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Jesus Christ is the only true head of the church. And so what he's saying here is if you have a religious institution that doesn't have someone they regard as the head, like everyone is equal and they don't really focus on Christ as the head, then that body is going to be dead because it has no leader. But if something has more than one head, if you're recognizing multiple authorities as the end all be all, then it's going to be monstrous. There's going to be all sorts of error and sort of confusion that come. But Jesus Christ is the one head of the church. And so we have to honor Jesus as supreme over the church. 
There, there cannot be another authority that takes the place of Jesus. Yes, we look up to a pastor and elders and stuff like that, but ultimately our church practice, our church mission and vision, it should all flow from the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of his apostles that were delivered through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He gets to decide things. And this is very practical when we think about issues of doctrine. We have all these debates in churches these days about you know, what is the role of women in the leadership of the church? What is the role of spiritual gifts? What is all these different things like who gets to be a part of the church? All these different controversial issues. And a lot of them would be solved by recognizing Christ as supreme. If Christ is the head of the church, then his word is what we follow. We can't say, oh, well, that was said 2,000 years ago, but we're, we're progressive. We've got these new ideas that sort of improve upon that. No, we don't, we don't get to be the head of the church. We don't get to decide the direction or the doctrine. Jesus Christ is the one who has already laid that down and established that for us in Scripture. We have the entire New Testament that shows us how church is supposed to be structured, how we are supposed to interact with each other as the church, and so Christ is the head. And when I talk about the church, I'm not just talking about a physical building. I mean the body of Christ. That That is what the Bible means when it talks about the church, when it talks about the body of Christ. It's all believers across geographic locations, across time, all the believers that have professed Jesus Christ as Lord, who submit to his lordship. So he's not only Lord over each of them individually, but he's Lord over them corporately as his own body. And so Christ is the head of the church. And so next, I want to look at Christ's supremacy over the universe. And this is a, this is a really exciting topic because a lot of times we think of Christ as, you know, I'm going to accept him into my heart, make him Lord of my life, you know, maybe go to church and respect him as king there, you know, that's great. But we, we think of salvation, we think of the gospel and redemption as being specifically applied to us individually or to the church. And we don't think about the, the impact that has, the, the ramifications of his lordship, of his resurrection and the gospel on creation as a whole. Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear that creation is groaning, that because of the fall, there are these effects of sin that have cursed the world. And so the world is waiting for this consummation of all things. And so the supremacy of Christ over the universe is an important concept. The fact that through the gospel, not only does Christ reconcile people to himself, he reconciles the entire universe. When man sinned, man wasn't the only one affected. Not only did God curse Adam, not only did he curse Eve and their progeny, but he cursed the serpent as well, and he cursed the ground. And so everything, animals as well as the earth itself, experiences decay. It experiences entropy. It's going in this negative direction as a result of the fall. And so without redemption, everything would be destroyed. We could expect the universe to eventually just disappear to fade into nothingness but the gospel promises not only does christ reconcile us to himself but he undoes all the effects of the curse such that the entire universe is uncursed and reconciled to him and this is a very crazy concept when we think of the humble beginnings of jesus's human life 
Um, this is especially something we think about during Christmas when we think about the incarnation, the fact that the God of the universe, the eternal God of the universe, incarnated as a human baby. Like this was God's plan all along. Acts 2.23 shows us that God wasn't caught by surprise when people crucified Jesus. That had been part of God's definite plan and foreknowledge. Like in Genesis 3.15, he already had this planned out. He promised Eve that he would send her a descendant who would crush the head of the serpent. And so this plan of Jesus' death and resurrection was planned from the beginning, even in his birth, which is a, a very sobering thought that when Jesus was born as a baby, death was already on the horizon for him. He was born as a baby so that he could die for you. And this sort of reminds me of the words of this Christmas song. I'm not sure who wrote it, and I'm not like endorsing the um, the writer or anything like that. But this Christmas song, like I really like this one stanza talking about the birth of Christ. It says, "Fragile finger sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorns, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born." And so that those tender little baby hands of Jesus would one day be stretched out on a cross and crucified, that that sweet little forehead of Jesus would one day be pierced by a crown of thorns. And that was what God was doing through his plan. He sent Jesus to be born as a baby so he could grow into a man, live a perfect life in our place, because we couldn't live that perfect life. We failed to live up to that standard of holiness of perfection. And so he lived that perfect life so that he could die the death that we deserve for our sins so that God could raise him up. As Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And Philippians 2.6-11, this is often called the Messiah hymn. It's this beautiful look at the entire aspect of Christ's incarnation, humiliation, resurrection and glorification it says though he was in the form of god did not did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Christ is supreme over the entire universe. Ephesians 1 20 through 21 tells us that every demonic power, every principality has been submitted to Jesus. He is over all of those powers. And so Paul tells us in Philippians 2 11 that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for some, this is going to be a joy. For those of us who have believed in him, we're, we're going to love this, like proclaiming Jesus as Lord. That's what we've been doing our entire lives. So it's not going to be different for us to say it at that point. But for others, it's, it's going to be terror. If you've rejected Jesus your entire life and never put your faith in him to proclaim him as Lord, it's going to be this terrifying acknowledgement that you were wrong the whole time, that you rebelled against him, and now here you are recognizing that he truly is the Lord that we are all supposed to serve. And so I don't want that to be you. I don't want you to 
experience that terror. So if you're listening to this and you are not a believer, I want to let you know that Jesus loves you. That when he sees you, he doesn't just look at you with hatred or with disgust. He loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. He had this personal love for you such that if you believe in him, when you put your faith in him, his sacrifice covers all your sin. And so if you've come to this point of realizing that the way you've lived, the the life you've lived of not following Jesus, that you don't want to do that anymore, that you are renouncing that lifestyle of rebellion, then I want you to know that Jesus Christ has open arms, that he died so that you could be saved. And when you believe in him, you will experience eternal life. And that is the pathway to experiencing the supremacy of Christ in your life. And so Christ is supreme over the entire universe, whether we're talking about our solar system, our Milky Way galaxy, or the countless other galaxies that exist, the, the, the vast reaches of space that we don't even have the technology to explore yet, down to the subatomic level, to bosons and quarks and leptons and all these things, like everything is under the authority of Christ. I love what R.C. Sproul said. He said that there is not a single, quote, maverick molecule in the universe. In other words, every sub, every particle, every molecule, every atom, every subatomic particle, they all respond to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is lord of the universe. He does whatever he pleases, and the entire universe submits to him. And so in, th in these two episodes, we've looked at the supremacy of Christ over us personally, over the church corporately, and over the universe as a whole. And what do we do with this? Like, what, what is our response? Like, we can't, it's easy to put this on the shelf of our theological knowledge, and we're like, hey, supremacy of Christ, that's a nice volume right there. Maybe I'll take it out, read it again later, but, you know, we sort of treat it like this high school literature assignment. Like, hey, yeah, great, I had to read Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky in high school. Never going to read that again. Or some, that's, that can be our reaction. But the truth is, like any theological truth should have an impact on the way we live. If it doesn't, if our theology doesn't impact the way we live, then, then we're doing it wrong. There, there's no reason to study this stuff or to learn about this stuff. There's no reason for you to have wasted 20 minutes or however long this podcast is going to be listening to this topic if it doesn't apply to your daily life. So what does the supremacy of Christ mean for us on a practical level? First of all, this understanding of Christ's supremacy should ignite a fiery and passionate spirit of worship. I, as I read the, the passages that I've talked about in these episodes about how wonderful and glorious Christ is, I, it, it gets me excited, like knowing Christ and sort of seeing this vision of him that we see in the Holy Scriptures it stirs my affections for who he is, and I hope it stirs your affections as well. That sets your heart aflame for how wonderful the God we worship is. Paul was a super erudite um, theological kind of dude. Like in Romans, he just lays out the theology of the gospel. And for uh, the first 11 chapters, it's just deep like storytelling and how God fulfilled his promises and how this relates to how he saves us and justification and all these deep theological topics. And at the end of chapter 11, after all this theology, 
he breaks out into worship. That should be our response to break out into worship at the wonder of God's glorious ways. He says this at the end of Romans 11 in verses 33 through 36. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So when we reflect on the supremacy of Christ, it should send us into joyful, reverent worship. Like I think about the worship songs that we sing in church, and this is not to put down any sort of worship song, but honestly, there are a lot of very repetitive worship songs that focus on us. It's all about, like, I have this struggle, but God's going to give me this breakthrough. God, please give me this, please move this mountain in my life. Like a very self-focused repetitive and sometimes we need that the psalms can be very self-focused and seem very repetitive at times so that sometimes is a necessary focus or sometimes we'll talk about god's faithfulness and how he parted that sea how he moved that mountain in our lives and that is awesome as well but sometimes it's just wonderful just to focus on the sheer glory of christ as displayed in the gospel and in the passages on his supremacy just to reflect on what an awesome glorious God he is without any regard for how it impacts our our everyday life right now just knowing who he is as Lord and worshiping him in that way like those are the ones that really get me excited when it you know it matches the glory of Christ with the gospel so I think of songs like all hail King Jesus or King of Kings and Cornerstone just like and it does talk about us it talks about how we were saved but focuses on the Lordship in the glory of Jesus Christ. So the supremacy of Christ should ignite us into fiery and passionate worship. And the second thing it should do, studying the supremacy of Christ should do for us, is that it should give us confidence in our salvation. So if Christ is the most powerful being in the universe, there's nothing that can thwart his plan of salvation. And when Jesus talks about those who will believe in him for salvation, in John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And we also know that God is working to bring us to that, to that end. In Philippians 1.6, he says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.13 says he is working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so God is making sure we make it to the end. Like if Christ was powerful enough to save you, he's powerful enough to keep you saved. Christ didn't die on the cross so that you could maybe jump into salvation and then fall out of it. No, if he was powerful enough to save you, he's powerful enough to keep you saved. The blood of Christ cannot be undone. We know that God knew us from before the foundation of the world, and if we are saved, he will bring us to glorification. It says that in Romans 8, 29 through 30. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 also affirms this reality that God knew us before the foundation of the world. And so if he already had that plan, if he knew everything we would do before the foundation of the world, we can have confidence that our salvation isn't based on something we've done because he knows everything we would do and that wasn't enough to save us. It was only the work of Christ that was able to save us. And that work is sufficient to cover everything that we've done. We are loved by him. We are kept by him and for him. 
And Jude 24 through 25 promises that he will keep us from stumbling, that he promises to bring us into his presence with this limitless joy that's unlike anything we have ever experienced. So I want to assure you, if you are truly a believer, if you have truly been saved, that you are safe in the love of Christ. So this concept of the supremacy of Christ, far from being this abstract theological principle, is a very practical doctrine that should ignite us to fiery worship, give us confidence in our salvation, and dictate how we live on a daily basis. If we have truly confessed Christ as Lord, we're going to live obedient lives. That's what it means to confess Him as Lord, to obey Him. And so, sadly, so many churches are filled with people who say Christ is Lord, but they don't actually live like Christ is Lord. They, they believe in Him. They believe in the person of Christ, but they don't actually live their lives in submission to His Word. So if we are truly Christians, if we are truly followers of Christ, we are going to obey Him. And so I want to ask you, who or what is supreme in your life? What drives your actions? What is your motivation? Is it money? Is it some sort of desire? Is it a desire for influence? Is it a desire for approval, for acceptance? What is driving your decisions? And I encourage you, if, it's, if your answer is anything other than Christ, that today you commit to making Christ supreme. He died for us so that we could be forgiven. He freely offers us that salvation. And so the result of that, our response to that, is to submit our lives to him, to follow him as Lord, to obey who he is. And what I love about this is this isn't just some, this doesn't lead to sadness, to like this slavish obedience to Christ. It actually leads to joy. And one thing I'm probably going to highlight in multiple episodes, um, and pretty soon I plan to do an episode or two on Psalm chapter 1 and highlight this idea of joy in the Christian life. But the Christian life shouldn't be one that's boring. We get this stereotype of Christians as these dull, boring people. Like you think of Angela from The Office. She, her character is supposed to be a Christian, and she's sort of a mean, very dull and drab character. Like no one wants to be Angela from The Office, or hopefully you don't. But that's sort of the, the perception we get. And even if we're a believer, often we can think that that's what the Christian life looks like. But that's absolutely not true. So there's this sort of old question and answer, this old Q&A book that gives the overall answers for what, what is the Christian faith about? What's, what is the best way of defining the key doctrines of Christianity? It's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the very first question, so you, it, this is pretty important. If it's the first question, if the writer's thought was important enough to put at the beginning, it must be important. It says, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is our purpose? Why are we here? It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you hear that? Like your, your job, your, your main goal is enjoyment. It's having a good time in Jesus Christ. I love how John Piper says it. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So God derives his glory not just by obedience. Yes, that's necessary, but it's incomplete. It should be joyful obedience. Like God is ha happiest, not in the sense that we can change his mood. Like God, God is God. He, he doesn't experience mood swings, but God is most satisfied. He's most 
pleased when we are happy in him. And Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so God's glory is found in our joy. God's glory is found in our joy. So I want you to take some time today to rejoice in who God is. Just reflect on how much he loves you. Like the Christian life is not about doing, doing, doing. Often it's about acknowledging, understanding that you are loved by God, that you are saved by Christ, and that you are kept by the Holy Spirit. And understanding this reality that Christ is supreme over us and that his supreme desire for us is that we would be supremely happy in him. That should motivate us to live a life of serving him and obedience to him. So glorifying him as supreme is the only way to truly find life. And so that is a brief look, a brief overview of the supremacy of Christ. And so again, I hope my goal, or I hope your response to this after hearing this is that it just ignites your heart with passion and confidence and joy for who Jesus is. And so feel free to let me know in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube or another platform how you liked this episode, you know, what you think I should improve, what you think I should cut out or add. I would really appreciate um, constructive feedback. Um, but thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Please follow us on our socials at Heretical Show on Twitter and Instagram, as well as our channels on YouTube and Twitter, or I should be saying X, that's what it is now. Um, and thank you again so much for listening. Peace.